Blog Talk Radio. again as we have in the past eight and a half years we're coming to you live from the eal radio show studio in saint augustine ponte vedra jacksonville florida thanks for listening to eastern airlines talk radio my name is neil holland the producer of the show and we have a great show for you tonight and to all the listeners around the world we say welcome join us as we celebrate the life of eastern airlines every monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer, it's great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright. Five villages in Central Florida area where the weather right now is 81 degrees and in light rain. And unfortunately, it's going to be light rain all week, so our golfers are going to be very disappointed. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You've truly made the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become Eastern Airlines' international radio show with over 50 countries listening in. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello and talk to us on the air. You're going to be live every Monday evening. We can identify with many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out to not only the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Want to join us by adding your voice to our broadcast? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio at www.ealradioshow.com blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Now to remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits, 213-816-1611. 
By the way, tell all your friends about us. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 421 Monday night broadcasts and 75 Thursday broadcasts by simply going to the blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's Captain C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. And we're over 500 episodes now with from the Eastern Files and the Eastern Old Time Radio Show. Holy blue Sunoco, man, we are really up there now. Our lines are always open for you. So if you choose not to participate and talk with our host, you can, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see that we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight 421 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 volt. How may I direct your call? Yes, I would like to speak to someone in your aviation department. It concerns my interest in becoming a pilot or an engineer in the aviation field. Certainly. I'll put you through to our Dean of Aerospace and Engineering College, Dr. Holder. I have scheduled to come in and meet with Dean Holder and has arranged at the Dean's office at the university's Daytona Beach campus for an interview. Well, how you do there, Mike? Glad to meet you. Have a seat. I've also invited our chief flight instructor, Chuck DeGaldo, and the dean of our engineering department. That's Dr. Colleen Smith for this interview. I can say you're at the right place at the right time to discuss a career in aviation. We hope we can tell you why in the course of our interview. First, a little about the background of Emory Randolph. After giving Mike a short history of the university, started back in the 1940s as a school to train WW2 pilots and mechanics 
the dean asked Mike, why is he thinking about a future in aviation? Okay, Mike, now listen, I'd like to know a little more about your interest. Is it because I think you said your mom and dad are both with a commercial airline? You don't feel pressured to go into aviation now just because they want you to. No, of course not. They've been very supportive in my decision of choosing a professional career. My mom is a captain with a major carrier, and I'd rather not mention which one during my visit today. And it also goes for my dad, who is an engineer with the same company. First off, I'd like to know what requirements are for a commercial pilot certificate and opportunities for the job upon completion, and also the requirements in aviation maintenance and the opportunities in that field. Chief Flight Instructor Chuck reviews with Mike the requirements for becoming a commercial pilot. Mike, uh, the following are minimums requirement to receive a commercial pilot certificate. Uh, number one would be be able to read, write, and converse fluently in English. Be at least 18 years of age. Hold at least a current third-class FAA medical certificate. Later, if your flying requires a commercial pilot certificate, you must hold a second-class medical certificate. Hold an instrument rating. A commercial pilot is presumed to have an instrument rating. If not, his or her commercial pilot certificate will be endorsed with a prohibition against carrying passengers for hire on day VFR flights beyond 50 nautical miles or at night. Receive and log ground training from an authorized instructor or a complete home study course, such as the one we offer in, in our course here. Pass a knowledge test with a score of 70% or better. The commercial pilot's knowledge test consists of 100 multiple choice questions selected from the airplane-related questions in the FAA commercial pilot's test bank. Accumulate approximate flight experience and instruction. A total of 250 hours of flight time is required. Time required may be reduced to 190 hours if the training is at an FAA-approved Part 141 flight school, which we are here at ERAU. Successful completion of a practical flight test, which will be given at a final exam by an FAA inspector or a designated pilot examiner, and will be conducted at its it's specified at the FAA's commercial pilot practical test standards. Chief Instructor Chuck turns it back over to Dean Holder. Uh, Mike, uh, your mom and dad probably made you at least aware, aware of the demand for pilots and maintenance personnel needed now and in the future. It's a phrase that's everywhere at the moment, pilot shortage, pilot shortage. The huge numbers are predicted by Boeing and Airbus, Airbus, both manufacturing giants, and they have forecasted the need for as many as 617,000 new pilots by 2035. They've been shared far and wide with many outlets, proclaiming now is a great time to become a pilot. But what's the truth behind these numbers? For those saying the pilot shortage is a big, fat myth, the numbers can't be argued with. Economics are growing, airline fleet numbers are expanding as never before, and over the next 20 years, projections show that at the current rate of pilots entering the profession, there won't be enough pilots to fly. 
However, once we break the numbers down, it's not such a straightforward story. But I'm going to let Dean Colleen help you understand this need, where and when. Dean Smith. Mike, Boeing's outlook, the overwhelming need for pilots, will be seen in the Asia-Pacific region. With soaring demand for aircraft in Asia, the carriers are recruiting experienced pilots from both Europe and the U.S. However, it is the captains who can train their first officers rather than freshly qualified low-hour cadets or qualified pilots without hours on a certain uh, type aircraft. Emirates Flight Training Academy, that's a training facility uh, in Dubai. It officially opened its doors November 13, 2017, the second day of the Dubai Air Show. Um, They can accommodate over 600 students at a time. And while the training center initially focused on cadets in Emirates' prestigious National Cadet Pilot Training Program for UAE Nationals, the Academy also welcomes international cadet pilots. Now, at this time, it's currently filled to capacity, and they're not accepting applications. Dean Smith, if you would allow me to kind of jump in at this point, a shortage of pilots is also a general genuine problem that is facing U.S. regional airlines right now. As more captains reach the mandatory retirement age of 65 and following an FAA requirement for first officers to have 1,500 hours total time as a pilot and add to to the fact that fewer young people are choosing the commercial aviation as a profession and regional carriers face a, a very big shortage. A senior manager at Southwest Airlines recently said, this is one of the things that my job, I get to worry about every day and when I go to bed at night. The biggest problem is lack of interest in folks in pursuing this as a career anymore. And that is what puts us in the most jeopardy. According to a study released by North Dakota and the University of Nebraska, Omaha, released in 2015, the top three reasons the U.S. aspiring pilots are changing their career plans are the cost of flight training and certification, low pay at regional carriers, and the 2013 regulatory change that mandates a six-fold increase in flight hours and required by first officers. Yes, the shortage is real. It's critical. However, to make clear which sector of the airline industry we're talking about, there is a shortage, and it has having an impact on North American regional carriers. But as pilot Patrick Smith explained on his blog, asked the pilot, yes, the shortage is real. It's critical. However, to make such a sector of the airline industry we're talking about, the first step in this decision is to categorize properly. First, we're looking at and specifying at the U.S., airline industry. Other countries office recruit pilots differently. We're in a growing reliance on the so-called ABTRO programs, whereby young candidates are chosen from scratch with no prior experience and are groomed from the ground up, so to speak, in a tightly controlled regimen that puts them in the cockpit of a jetliner very quickly. These programs are ultra-competitive, and there is no shortage of applicants. I'm sure you're wondering how expensive it is compared to other professions. I'll have to default here to Dr. Holder. Oh, me, look, I just 
see the man we're looking for. Excuse me. I'm going to go to the chief financial officer who just walked past my door. Dean Holder quickly calls the secretary to pitch Dr. Don Gagnon, the university's chief financial officer, just outside his office. Hey there. Come on in, Dr. Gagnon. I want you to meet Mike. Uh, He's a possible candidate for one of our university's colleges. We're just going to talk about the cost now. Let's talk about that, that a student can expect to be responsible for as education as a commercial pilot. Now, please, sir, would you give Mike an approximate number? Oh, thanks, Dr. Holler. I'll try. Mike, a major factor in a few people to take up the career is the cost of training. In the past, many airline pilots have come from a steady source of retiring military crews. Uh, Though those numbers have gradually dwindled, and RS of shifted to, uh, to civil trained pilots, aspiring pilots, who aren't able to secure a place on a limited number of airline-sponsored training programs, need to find sums of money to pay for their own uh, training cost. And in many cases, a type, a type rating is required before an airline will consider them an employee. I read recently Wendy Purse, head of membership and career services at British Airlines Association, explained, quote, the number of few pilots entering training has contracted. Previously, cadets would have been found uh, predominantly by their parents. We know that from our own membership surveys, but when we had the financial crisis, a lot of parents wouldn't be able to fund the banks, and they weren't, the banks weren't loaning pilot uh, money for training. For someone who wants to take themselves from novice to the right seat, can cost anywhere from seventy-five to one hundred thousand dollars. In order to cover these training costs, many pilots will take out substantial loans. Yet even once they get into the airline job, the starting salaries are often not much higher, much higher to live on. After, after factoring in the uh, repayments of the loan, in other words, the number of pilots willing to commit to time and money to their education and training when the, the return on the investment is at best unpredictable is far fewer than it has been before. For those who are, are willing to uh, unable and for those who are unable to put that kind of money together, the dream of being a career pilot has fallen by the wayside. However, while Wendy explained that in practice these should see a decline in interest in the professional high levels of attendance at the pilot career live events. Every year, in evidence that it is not yet the case, many men and women attending these shows to find out more about their dream career. We're seeing that even here at uh, ERAU, in our career center, uh, some symposiums. Are there scholarships, uh, opportunities here at Emory Randolph? Oh, yeah, Mike, there, there sure are. 
Here at uh, ERAU, we have the sponsors scholarships such as the Retired Eastern Pilots Association Scholarship Program for those desiring careers as professional pilots or as aerospace engineers. We have many corporate sponsors uh, with very attractive scholarships, but I can tell you that they are very competitive and require a good grade point average. Some, like the Eastern Airlines Scholarship, are designed for those that are in the last two years at the university. If you'd like, I can uh, direct you to the university scholarship website, and you should be able to find uh, and view the different scholarship programs that are available to you. I will get you the information uh, this before you leave today. Thank you very much, sir. Look forward to it. Dean Halder now turns Mike's attention over to the engineering school's Dean Smith. Dean Smith. Uh, Colleen? Uh, I'll fill in for Dean Smith. Can you Smith. hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry. I just stepped out for a moment. Okay. If you're wondering about the opportunities as an aerospace engineer or aircraft maintenance specialist, here are some facts I can share with you. Boeing's technician forecast, which is taken as the gospel truth in the industry, predicts a world demand of 754,000 new technicians by 2037. The Asia-Pacific region represents the largest need at 257,000, with North America at 189,000, and Europe needing 132,000. The global aviation maintenance technician workforce will need to add almost 38,000 new technicians annually in order to meet the projected demand. Without any question, the global demand for air travel is increasing dramatically, with projected demand in 2037 being 2.5 times the current demand. To accommodate this demand, the global fleet is going to double, with 56% of new deliveries being to accommodate growth rather than just standard fleet upgrade and replacement. Of the remaining 44% of new deliveries, those will serve to replace approximately three-quarters of the existing fleet, which tells that 25% of the year 2037 fleet are still going to be made up of legacy aircraft, heavy jet aircraft. All of these factors dictate that the technician workforce must not only grow in raw numbers, but in technological methods. Future aircraft are going to be considerably different than legacy aircraft in construction methods and materials, technological connectivity, and addictive manufacturing, 3D printing of components, to name a few disciplines. At the same time, technicians must be adept at working on legacy aircraft and their technologies, which will remain in circulation for many years past 2037, although in diminishing numbers. I'll be happy to show you our aerospace engineering building when you can schedule some time. And I'm sure Chief Flight Instructor would also be available to take you out to the flight line to show you the various trainers 
that we use in the professional pilot course program. Yes, Mike, I'll be glad to show you all of the latest advanced trainers that we have here at Emory Rodown. We even have our own control tower and training center for those wanting to go into air traffic control. I might add this before we end our conversation. So who will become a pilot, even with all the challenges that face entrance into the profession with a, a pay-to-fly culture that is in dire need of a change? For many people, a pilot career is more than an occupation. It's a dream. And one of the students said, as someone who always dreamed of flying but delayed the decision for most of his 20s, I'd like to put a call out to anyone, young, not so young, whoever wondered about turning left instead of right when boarding an airliner. Consider being and, and consider becoming a pilot. Seriously, it's a great job. We now have a major airline and flying in the left seat of a Boeing 787. Well, listen, thanks, Dean Smith, Captain Chuck, Dr. Gagan. I guess we can summarize all we've shared today with you, Mike, by the following statement that the chief executive officer of the Boeing Company recently said. He said, demand for air travel is growing so rapidly that 800,000 new pilots are expected to be needed over the next 20 years, according to the latest Boeing forecast. The biggest need is in the Asia-Pacific region. That's where an improving economy in China has resulted in more people booking flights. More people are flying in the U.S. USA too, but at the same time experienced pilots are reaching the mandatory age of 65 years old. Boeing believes a growing shortage of pilots represents, quote, one of the biggest challenges, end quote, facing the airline industry today. Muhlenberg said that according to Boeing's latest outlook, the marketplace would climb to 8.7 trillion up from 8.1 trillion over the next 10 years. I'm sure he's talking about passengers. He also estimated the number of two commercial airplanes would rise to 44,000, up from 43,000 over the next two decades. And if you look at those 44,000 new airplanes over the next 20 years, to go along with what we need, about 800,000 new pilots, 750,000 new aviation technicians, and so Building that town pipeline for the future is very important, he said. That's an area where Boeing will be making additional investments. And Boeing's chief executive said he was not focused on orders for the 737 MAX during his time in the French capital, insisting there would be plenty of opportunities for, uh, in the coming months. Boeing's CEO said we're making good, steady progress on the 737 MAX certification. Mike now has a very good idea uh, and understanding as to the choice he is about to make. Several of the leading airlines in the United States and some foreign countries have chosen Embry-Randolph Aeronautical University, or as we call it, ERA, to train their future airline pilots and technicians. We wish him well in coming to his decision and will find his place in this wonderful field of aviation. Well, this 
program is over as far as that is concerned. I'd like to uh, just kind of ask uh, about uh, what your thoughts are, host, about uh, uh, about the opportunities for people, uh, young folks, and and it, it, it's not like our day, Jim Holder and Mike and uh, Chuck, uh, when when we got our certificates with the FAA, uh, we got them. The, the, a lot of us got it the hard way. Some uh, got it through the military, and others got it through their own investments and trying to find uh, flying time and money to buy that flying time, like a lot of folks did that came to Eastern. And I recall, Jim, you probably do too, that back in the 60s, Eastern was having a hard time uh, finding pilots to uh, fill the right seat as first officers and as flight engineers as well. Do you recall those days, Jim? Yeah, they were. Uh, my class, and I was one of the lucky guys. I went through the Air National Guard program. I joined the Air Guard in high school, and five years later, uh, I was selected to go to pilot training with the United States Air Force, Craig Air Force Base. So I was a lucky guy. I got paid about $550 a month while I was learning to fly. And I realized that was really something, and I appreciate it to this day. Now, I do know, though, that uh, uh, in my class, 63, October 7th, 63, we had everything from guys uh, that had buku time on anything and everything down at the bottom. Some of them, the younger guys, they had P-51 time. And uh, But it doesn't matter. We all got hired, and everybody made it through the well, One guy ended up a couple of years later not making it. But uh, we all made it through. And I know when I interviewed, there was me and uh, eight other guys, and every one of them had a lot more flying time than I did. Every last one of them, because we had breakfast the day before we went over there for the interview. And they were Navy pilots with 2,000, Air Force with 2,500. So, you know, guys had everything in there. I'm coming along with my 900 hours. But my 900 hours included 3,000 hours on the Constellation. And old Joe Gimmel, he jumped right on that and asked me about the county to make sure that I knew he knew what I was talking about. And he finally just realized I did. So it was a RC. It was a C-121C, which is a Super G. And he hired me right there. And it just astounded me. And all the other guys, not a one of them got hired. I'm not sure what that proves, but it just says that if you got the right time at the right time back in those days, you got hired. And, Neil, I'm sure you got some similar type of uh, uh, events with other pilots that you know of, maybe even yourself. Hey, Neil? Yeah, Don? I'm losing my voice. Did any of you guys ever have to take the uh, stanine test? <laughs> Eastern did uh, give the state nine test to me. I had a thirty, about twenty-five question test that I finished first in about ten minutes. There wasn't no state nine at all. And I did in the airport. So I had to take the state nine in the airport. Yeah, no, I did not have to take that, Don. Uh, I came mm-hmm. on after I was hired. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's right, right. Oh, Joe Gimmel, he hired uh, he hired a bunch of us guys, and it was strictly on how you presented yourself and what you had. And, of course, he said for years and years and years, I can hear him now. He died about a year after he retired. But Joe Gimble and I blew it. And he said, the worst mistakes ever made was hiring you and Joe 
<laughs> Joe Dabbs. He said, I'm working a mistake I've made hiring you and Joe Dabbs. I'm sitting in the right seat. I said, Well, it's too late now. I'm on probation. <laughs> I really like well, flying with Joe Gimbal. He was a great guy to fly with. A lot of folks remember I uh, had a flight school in Atlanta when I was first hired. I uh, was a class behind my best friend. It turned out to be my best friend, uh, John Cornye, and I uh, started a school in Atlanta. Uh, started yeah, out teaching the uh, airline transport pilot rating, and we taught the, the commercial, private, commercial, and instrument ratings. Uh, we did maintenance uh, the A&P ground school, and we got a contract with Allegheny Airlines back in those days when they got their first 727s. And, we taught classes in Pittsburgh for them, and uh, so we were doing pretty good as far as flight training, and uh, a lot of the students that we trained went with Eastern Airlines, and uh, we were real happy about that, and uh, of course, back in those days, the very important thing in the early 60s that you, was that you had a flight engineer rating. And uh, it didn't matter whether it was on a reciprocating or turboprop or a jet aircraft, but uh, you had to have that. And then they lowered the requirements to only having to have the uh, the uh, ground school and the uh, uh, not necessarily the rating itself, but have gone had gone through the ground school. So there was uh, some hurting times, and and again back when uh, the third person in the airplane there were three pilots in the big aircraft transport airplanes and they had to have them all with pilot ratings and uh, that's when uh, eastern had the flight engineer strike and uh, some of the flight engineers that came back uh, from that strike came over uh, were uh, given flight training up to their commercial pilots rating uh, certificate and National Airlines did the same thing. I was involved in training both National and Eastern uh, flight engineers that had uh, come back or uh, had to qualify with commercial pilot certificates. So, you know, over the years, the airlines have had their problems, but this seems to be a major problem when you're starting to talk about hundreds of thousands of pilots. Mm-hmm. And I realize mm-hmm. it's over a period of 20-plus years, but still – when you divide, you know, those 20 years into 800,000 pilots or 750 or whatever number you want to uh, use of those that we put out tonight, that's a lot of pilots per year that they're going to be looking for to fill those seats. So I guess that's why. why, Go ahead. Why would they extend um, the date instead of being 65? Is it? Dangerous for anyone over that to be flying. Uh. <laughs> I felt pretty good at at sixty. I mean, I didn't see why a pilot's career should have been stopped at sixty years old. It, I mean, given that well, it's been so long, yeah. wouldn't you think so? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, in my feeling, uh, I was forced out at sixty, and and I was glad because I was tired of commuting all over the world with American Transair. If I'd been flying in Atlanta, it'd been a whole different story. I'd have kept right on going. But 
uh, I, I think I could, well, I'm looking back on it. I think I used to say in, when I was 70 or over 70, I said, if you give me a good co-pilot, I can fly a 727 to L.A. and back. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> nobody I mean, that's good. on it. <laughs> but I'd have to have a good co-pilot and a good flight engineer <laughs> to, to remind me of what I'm forgetting. But I can actually fly it, though, you know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe this 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 is Chuck. Maybe we ought to think about one of the programs we had before and that the industry is looking at a single pilot, no pilot. Maybe that's where uh, they're gonna make a shortage. They're not gonna have me riding on airplanes. Me neither. <laughs> if there's no pilot up there, I'm going on another airline. <laughs> I don't think that will ever happen. I can't see people getting up and, I mean, flying with just no pilot at all, or even one pilot. It's just not a good deal. You know, like everybody used to look at me, and I was had two guys in the cockpit with me looking at me. Hey, how you feeling today, Captain? You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, people used to say that sometimes, you know, and they were nervous, nervous, you know. I say, I feel pretty good. How do you feel? <laughs> Well, you ain't going to feel that good when we land with me up here flying. It. <laughs> you can have a lot of fun when you're the captain, you know. You know like Neil said, you know, that's a lot of a lot of people have to come up with a lot of money or get lucky like some of the, the stories you guys have been telling on uh, tonight to get their training. I mean, that's a lot of money to come up with at that age. You know, you know, yeah. you're not making you're not making that kind of money to 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 put into a career and uh, and uh, still keep up the, the time of of making the money plus doing your career at the same time. It's really Especially tough. If you're like, going with a a taxi, air taxi, or one of those commuter airlines, right? You know, right. They, it's really bad if you got to start out with them. You know, Lee Johnson. I know you, everybody knows Lee Johnson. Lee Johnson had a big article in, the, in my magazine. I think it was this last one or maybe the one before last, where he hired on with 290 hours. And he was not any young guy either and started his whole career all over. And he, he got up to 291 hours or something, and that was unheard of. And Eastern hired him, and they were glad to get him. And he turned out to be a wonderful pilot, a wonderful captain, a wonderful friend. But that was very unusual at Eastern, right, Neil? Yeah. Yeah. Get hired with that low number of hours. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't see that today. Uh, I don't know about maintenance, but uh, uh, you and Mike uh, probably know. uh, uh, I don't know if you've uh, kept track with the requirements now, education requirements. I remember back when I took my mechanic training in Miami and vocational school, we had to learn how to put fabric on a stitch with a sewing machine, uh, put dope on and uh rip stitch and, and do woodwork and, and sheet metal work and, and welding and all that. I'm sure that's completely changed as far as the uh, curriculum, the maintenance curriculum uh, today. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I you're into, yeah, I could, I could uh, myself, I could see that all changing. I mean, as a, as an A and P mechanic, you know, when I worked for Eastern, 
of course, that's how I I, I finagled my way in from being a mechanic into the pilot seat uh, through that way, plus the uh, the money that I got from my VA benefits from being in the Air Force. But the thing was, you know, when you get it's like when you get any license, uh, A and P alike is pilot's license. My dad always used to say, anytime you get a new license, it's it's a new. It, you basically got a learner's permit. But the thing with the with the mechanics end of it is the uh, you know you have an A and P license, which airframe and power plant, of course. But I see in the future. Uh, uh, aircraft technicians with an, an A&P or the likes type of license, if they don't change them, they're going to have to be rated because the airplanes are getting too complex to just do a general airframe or power plant. So they're they're going to pretty soon they're going to come out with regulations. My feeling is that they're uh, they're they'll they'll make uh, the mechanics license like a pilot's license where you have to have a type rating on a certain aircraft or a certain engine. To uh, so you can work on it. Yeah, so, uh, especially that's, it's another thing uh, that's uh, that's probably going to be coming in the future. So, well, you know, for anybody you gotta, that's thinking about it, there are no more rivets on airplanes. Rivets are what frog the sounds frogs make. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, th- there's getting to be less and less all the time. It's very correct. Yeah. Now, why well, look at that? all the exotic. Uh, fabrics that you got today on the airplanes that even in my age it wasn't there uh i mean the carbon fiber stuff is is the way to go i mean uh i drive a corvette and the new corvette just coming out here now is all carbon fiber and it makes the car i think about 400 pounds lighter than if you used a, a fiberglass and stuff and airplanes are the same way. You get a lot of big panels that are carbon fiber now, especially the, like the horizontal and, and, and the stabilizer, the rudders. Some of the uh, flap, flaps are, are made out of carbon fiber. Not all of them, but a part of them. And then you have other places on the airplane that they're using carbon fiber. So, like you said, somebody's going to have to have special training and those types of, of of uh, fabric to be put on the airplane. Plus, uh, it used to be I I painted one airplane in Pan Am one time, and it takes hundreds of gallons of paint, and there's it's special paint, and it's got to be put on. But the paints that they have today are all mixed paints, and you got to know how to mix them, and, and it takes a special. Um, classes to learn all those different types of paints and stuff. So I think you're right. I think you're going to see somebody. Yeah, he could be a painter, but he's going to have to be a painter with this type of rating to use carbon fiber, let's say. If you don't have carbon fiber training, they're not going to let you work on the airplane because, you know, there's the possibility. I remember one time, we painted a, a, a 707 at Pan Am, and but they let, um, instead of letting the uh, sheet metal people prepare the airplane and sand it down and, and do everything they're supposed to, they <laughs> they let the, uh, the the cleaners do it, and they and and then they they brought in the 
they brought in the, the painters, and they just shot the plane, thinking it was all finished. And when it took off from Miami, and by the time it got to New York, there was sheets that were like 30 feet wide and, and 60 to 70 feet long hanging on the on the stabilizers. Because it just peeled that's, off. That's are, you, are you kidding? It's probably, probably because they didn't use Sears weather beater. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, that, that might have been a serious problem if it wrapped around one of the one of the stabilizers and it couldn't work, then you'd have a, a real problem. And you just can't send somebody out to do a job that they don't have any training on. Yeah. And uh, I think getting back Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, getting back to the pilot training, why hasn't any airline recruited people that want to fly, send them to school, but only uh, they they wouldn't have to pay their training only if they signed a contract, say, for five years to fly for that company? Why wouldn't it benefit them to do that? They have airlines that do that. A lot of them overseas do that. Yeah. What was the one we were talking about? Yeah. What was it, Emirates? Emirates, yeah, Emirates trains you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you, a you're not even a pilot. You're not even nothing when you walk in the door. And by the time you walk out of the door later, you're you're flying a big jumbo jet. It's called ab initio yeah, training. Are they yeah. really qualified, though? I mean, not just to fly, but are they really qualified to fly, to fly. Now, whether their ability matches that qualification, that's um, that's up in the air, I guess. I guess uh, pilot fairly, guys. fairly yeah. common in the in the corporate field uh, with uh, somebody that gets has a little experience. If they don't have a rating on the particular airplane that they're flying, they can they they will hire them and they send them to the company will send them to the school. To get a rating on the airplane, uh, and they will. Uh, if you stay with the company for so many years, it's all gone. But if you if you leave the company, it's all kind of like prorated. Well, you would have to pay them saying, back a certain it. amount of money if you decided to yeah. leave. So that's right. a com- would, fairly common thing. They would have to get some sort of a guarantee, but if they do it yes. overseas, why don't they do it here? Well, they do do it here. They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was just but not every airline does. Do any no, of you guys? Thing, you know, uh, here, I'm just wondering the, what the pay scales are now. If uh, Jim, have you heard or Mike, uh, even maintenance scale pay scales? What are they now with no, the major carriers? No, I've, I've got a good friend that went to work for, for not Delta, but one of the airlines owned by Delta. I can't think of the name of it right now. And uh, of course, he's making. He checked out his captain in about three years, and he's making, of course, I don't know about inflation and all that kind of stuff, but uh, he's flying a modern airplane, but it's not a very big airplane. You know, back in the old days when you came with Eastern, you might get on a Convair or you might get on a, you know, a, a fairly simple airplane compared to the jets. Or Some people might say it's more complicated than the jets. But then they moved up into the bigger, more complicated airplanes and made more money. But these, these guys, that they're starting out in an airplane. It may only have two engines, but it's just as complicated 
it's the great big ones. You know, it's got auto auto this, everything else, and that's what they're going straight into brand new airplanes with glass cockpits and navigation systems that I have no idea what the hell they're doing, but it seems to find where they're going uh, based on what this guy is telling me. Yeah. Well, I can't exactly are... what my point was in that tirade, but there's something in there. I think if you can pick it out. The mechanics are drawing down somewhere around somewhere over forty forty dollars an hour now if they're in the mm-hmm. union deal, and I'm I'm looking mm-hmm. at the latest uh, or the June 2019 Pro Pilot magazine, and it's got the uh, the uh, pay scales for the ma- U.S. major airlines and the highest paid airline, according to this publication, is Delta Airlines. Uh, captain with over 10 years with the company flying a triple seven is making $339,840. Now mm-hmm. I'm not sure just what, what, what's included in all that, but, uh, this is a, this is a corporate pilot book. So they give you a, a little section that tells you what the major airline pay scales are. It comes out once a year. Well, and, and the guys are checking out on the smaller airlines. They're checking out real fast. I mean, they're going to the left seat big time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, they like jump somewhere real Well, for for instance, yeah. we I look over in the other column here, and it says Delta Airlines also. It says the first year, first officer, smallest aircraft, but they would uh, like an MD-80. Uh, they drew, they would be drawing $88,320 a year. Mm. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, and... And it's uh, I got it, Neil. You and I hired. I hired on a four sixty a month, and got the five hundred in six months, <laughs> yeah. and got the five fifty the second year. And I thought I was living next to the government mansion down there in Jackson, Mississippi. I was making so much money. Now, and I, I had a wife and two kids in an apartment. Four, yeah, four sixty five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what. That's you, why they amazing. put those. They they put those shears in your in your mailbox because you thought you were <laughs> yeah. in full cotton. Yeah, well, hell, that was later on. We would we would take anything, boy. Back those days, different. Well, you know, we were just you know, Jim, there you're, had a number on an airline. You remember those captains were making about twenty five thousand with Eastern. That was pretty pretty high. Oh paid. yeah, I know. It. I yeah. flew with a brand new captain on the DC seven. You know, I got hired because I had the county time. So what did they do? They put me on the DC seven. But anyhow, I was flying <laughs> with this captain, and he'd been a captain for about. Six months. His name was Jim Batson up in Chicago, and he got on the airplane, and he was so proud that he had his paycheck. He used to get paychecks every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, no, you got them every end of the month. Then they went to two weeks. But his paycheck, and he had it. He was showing me his paycheck was two thousand dollars for one <laughs> but full flying DC seven captain out of Chicago. And he said, oh, "I can't God. believe I'm making this kind of money." Well, that just shows what it is now. Because we know inflation and all that other stuff. But uh, he was so proud that he went to 2000, $2,000 a month. And I was really proud when I went to elective second officer or flight engineer, as they know, that I went to $1,020. I said, they don't make that much money in Mississippi. You know, it's, unless you're the governor or something. Well, all, all you can tell people that get involved in an aviation career, I don't know about the way it is today or in the way it's going to be in the future, but uh, I, between a split career that I had, a third in maintenance and two-thirds in flying, people ask mm-hmm. me what I did for a living. I tell them nothing. 
I said, they always paid me to do what I like to do. I said, I used to pinch myself every once in a while. I said, can't believe that they pay me to do this. <laughs> I tell you what, when I, uh, I left Eastern in 89, I stayed on a year uh, to um, pickle the airplanes because my one daughter had asthma and I needed the insurance to stay. And I was only making $15 an hour. And that was yeah, back in '89. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pilot, we Eastern pilots were one of the lowest paid by then, and you know we had taken pay cuts, did this and did this, and you know, and we were at. I wouldn't say we were the bottom of the pile, but we were pretty close. Yeah. Well, when I was in an enlisted guy in the Air Force as a mechanic, I was making seventy-three dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had free housing. <laughs> I did, no, I had, a, I had I had quarters allowance. They used to give me I forgot what they gave me. I think ninety bucks a month or something like that. <laughs> I got see when I went in, I made fifty five dollars a month. Oh, oh boy, we're gonna have well, to do I a show about that. Through with this here. I wanted. Can I ask that question of the the producer? You're the one that that puts this thing together, and I want to know what Mike. You know, the guy that wants to go to work at Emory, I mean, go to school at Emory, I wanted to ask him how it is at home when his mother is a captain and his daddy is the second officer. And I just wonder <laughs> how things are. Yeah, well, that's pretty good because I don't know how that works because my dad was a captain yeah. and my mom, my mom was a housewife. <laughs> well, well, we know who, woman, who that house. Hell on the airline and carrying over into the house, too. Well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you, you realize when we were in the airline business, there was this the love for the airlines. Today, that it's all bottom line. I bet it's. I bet it's. You know, we loved Eastern. There ain't no doubt about it. I loved Eastern, and everybody I knew loved Eastern Airlines. And uh, it was really, it was a family. It was. It was for us. You know, we yeah, had yep. a few bad apples, but. Overall, almost everybody, it was, uh, I love to go to work. Everybody loved to go to work. Even flying with yeah. some of them grouchy old captains, I still enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember my wife when I was back in my married days. She used to complain that I worked too much overtime because I was having too much fun. She didn't want me to work overtime, but when the overtime phone rang, I had a size 7 footprint right in the middle of my butt to kick me out the door to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! She uh, loved you then, right? <laughs> then she did. Well, now the flight attendants. Now the flight attendants pay. Of course, now they are making tips. I believe. Uh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Colleen. Yeah, they're allowed. Yeah. Did, did you ever refuse a tip with Eastern? Uh yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think I think one time in all the years somebody tried to and that was so many years ago. I mean it was like back in the sixties when not that many left people a, were flying. Left a quarter on, but, uh, on the tray. Yeah, and I I heard that recently that which airline was it that they were accepting tips or going to or whatever and I think that's I think it's awful. I, I don't think they were probably talking talking about the stock market or uh, the horses, either one. 
No, yeah, <laughs> right. That would you believe you'd get American, more out of that. I think. I, think but, I thought it was American. Like in America, I just think it's. I just think it's unbelievable. I mean, oh, I, I don't I know. Can't conceive it. I mean, for the if you didn't that, like being called an if you didn't like being called an air waitress, then don't start acting like one. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you flew international, especially with the Saudis in the corporate field, tipping the crews was uh, not very uncommon at all, and for for big bucks too. So uh, really, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, that yeah. could be another story though, and another time. Oh. Yeah, that's a little yeah. bit different. That would that, that I could I could see, and that I would accept. <laughs> I, I never saw anybody turn more. any down. Yeah, but what is, what is this pay yeah. scale over there? That's the other thing. Not bad at all. It used hmm. to be real yeah, high at one time. Yeah. It was yeah, it was uh, very good. And the only problem is the living standard over there is high too. This well it depends on what country you're in. It's one of those because you you have to. It's another like a show of another thing with uh, all the, all the different countries with the 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 amount of per diem you would get paid for the whichever country you were in, and uh, the cost of everything in general, and exchanges and the whole thing. It get, it could get pretty confusing, but everybody usually uh, came out on the long end of the stick rather than the short end if you played your cards right. Yeah. Well, I think we've just about uh, talked about the shortage and the pay and all the problems that the airlines are going to have trying to fill the uh, uh, fill the seats, uh, the cockpit seats. That is, uh, more and more people will be flying, and and uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see even what five years from now is going to it's going to look like. So, thanks so much, and uh, for for. Uh, doing the show tonight, everyone, and uh, very interesting. Uh, Dorothy, what do you got for us for next week and coming up? And, well, I would we... first, uh, I'd like to say, uh, Jim Hart, if you're hearing us on the radio tonight, we're thinking about you, and we'll be happy when you join us once again. Um, I also would like to mention that we had a great news today. One of our sponsors, a member, J.G. John Leonard sent us a contribution of $200, and we extend John our sincere appreciation and thanks for his generosity and outstanding sponsorship. Uh, John had recently, uh, in March, sent us another contribution, which put him in the Silver Falcon, and now, of course, he's up in the Gold Falcon sponsorship right along with our great uh, recent retired Eastern Pilots Association, which, too, has made us uh, the organization that we are today to keep going and going uh, for the legacy of Eastern Airlines. Uh, Neil is sending John one of the Eastern Model 737 airplanes along with his uh, book. Uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about John, who worked at Eastern from 1967 to 1991 and was an Eastern system pilot. He worked out of MIA, Atlanta, DCA, JFK, and IHF. He was also a simulator instructor, Czech Airman Simulator and Aircraft, Air Crew Program Designate, HIMS designate alcohol and drugs in the Houston base. 
He was chief check captain, manager of flight test, airline director for Vanguard Airline B737 of safety. He was an L-1011 captain, worldwide passenger operations for trade winds. He was a DC-10 captain, worldwide passenger operations for Omni International. He was a corporate director of flight operations on B-727, CL-604G100, Astra SP, SPX, Westwind 1 and 2, Lear 4045, and also was a G100 contract pilot. So he had quite a resume behind him. And, again, we just are so pleased that he cared enough about our organization and the EAL radio show to continue helping us to keep keep bringing the legacy of Eastern. Remember, donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many, free, along with a free model of the Eastern 737 with your donation. So now we only have a limited supply of those Eastern 737 aircraft with the stand left. So please, if you're looking for one of the stands you'll, and the aircraft, you'll have to donate sooner than later. Um, anyway, uh, these um, aircraft were given to us by an anonymous, anonymous investor of Eastern Airlines Group. And, uh, again, we're just so appreciative that someone cared enough about our Eastern group to do something like this. Once again, we uh, thank Reaper uh, totally for their sponsorship and all those other members who contribute to keep our program going and the legacy of Eastern in the public eye. Remember, too, that our sponsors who have donated to us are all listed under our homepage under Sponsor, and they'll all be listed in the Gold Falcon, Silver Falcon, and um, another category that we have for those contributing less than that. But that we appreciate as well, so don't stop there. Uh, Jim Holder, do you have any more of the repartee magazines that you want to? Yes, I'm sitting here looking at four, 2017, three, 2018, and a big stack of 2019 magazines. And if anyone wants one, two, or three of these, send your mailing address to Dorothy. This is a little bit different. Send your mailing address to Dorothy, and she will send me, and I will then send you whatever you want of these okay. magazines. I've got to get rid at, of them. And that will be at host at EALradioshow.com. And we'll be glad to forward those uh, names and addresses to Jim. we would be happy, too. Right, uh, and you get them free, no charge. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. That's really the best part, isn't it, huh? Right, um, unless you want to send me a tip. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eastern Airlines can always use that for sure. But let me tell you a little bit about what we have for next week's show. Uh, we're going to be doing the last heartbeats of an American legacy airline uh, the final days of Eastern Airlines, our beloved Eastern, uh, followed by the following week uh, of the episode 423 on the 22nd of July, and that's going to be Flying with Arthur Godfrey. Now, we have a, a couple of upcoming programs, the one following with this famous people 
who have died in air crashes. Um, we're going to bring that one up for you. And we have some other uh, subjects we have listed, and their promotion will be out shortly. So in the meantime, don't forget, we have a great website. We have all kinds of things up there. And just like that gal last week that appreciated the uh, website, you too will appreciate it with all the information that we have up there. So thanks again, and back to you, Neil. And don't forget, Thursday, this coming Thursday, we're doing uh, the music with Eastern History along with it. And we've selected uh, one of the most famous singers of all. And tune in and find out uh, who that might be. And uh, we're going to do different singers, uh, voc- vocalists, I guess they call them artists, whatever. And uh, Don and I have fun doing that on every other Thursday. This past Thursday was July 4th, and we did uh, a July 4th uh, show. And uh, a lot of fun doing those uh, Thursday shows there at 3.30. And they're not call-in shows. Uh, we just uh, have uh, music uh, we play and history that we tell along with the music. So it's a lot of fun. Remember, too, Neil, if these folks, if they miss it, they can always go to the Blog Talk Radio website and and catch any one of the episodes. Yep, yep. Okay, thanks so much, everyone. And uh, let's get the airplane on the ground now. If I can find the gear lever, uh, we'll put the (laughs) gear down and see if we can land the airplane. Let's see what it sounds like if we land gear up. Oh, this, we got the three green. First off, to made that line. Those were a happy passengers. All right, turn it over to you, Chuck. Hey, great landing, Captain. Be sure to tune in next Monday, July 15th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyberwaves. And the radio show goes, the last heartbeat of American Legacy Airline, the final days of Eastern Airlines. With this, we sign off by playing the sign-off music made popular by the champagne music man himself, Lawrence Wells. And a one and a two and a three. Well, good night, Eastern family and friends from around the world, and good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. Good night, Eastern. Good night, Eastern. Hope everybody had a good fourth. Thank you. 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 Thank you.